Welcome to today's edition of Shaking Your World. My name is Bob Weiss. I am your host, of course, the program. Today we're going into a, a little bit different venue for us, and we are talking about uh, killers and criminals and cannibals and all those lovely things that are so hot to topics today. And we have a very good friend of the house, John Borowski. Filmmaker John Borowski is here along with us, and we're going to discuss some um, serial killer culture, yes. I suppose. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for John? having me. Yeah, I love Shakers. I've been here many, many times. And of course, Shakers was featured with the Jeffrey Dahmer tour, now the Cream City Cannibal tour. Maybe its name has changed now, but um, for my film, Serial Killer Culture, and that was a great experience, you know, following the tour around. And, you know, I just love it here, the atmosphere, and this is a great place. Well, thank you. Welcome home, of course. Thank you. So obviously, there is a ton of interest in, uh, in Dahmer now after uh, 30 odd years, and this resurgence is taking place place thanks to uh, Netflix. Thank you. <laughs> and um, obviously you have a, a myriad number of different books out that uh, correspond with different aspects of different serial killers, but certainly you've got the Dahmer Confessions, the Dahmer books down pat. Yeah, the, you know, the Dahmer's Confession book did really well, obviously, you know, from the Netflix show, because here, you know, the audiences are watching Dahmer's actions, and then they show a little bit, you know, when he, he's arrested and apprehended and talks to the detectives and police officers but you know you really uh, you know have the whole story in my book Dharma's confession which is it's amazing to read his actual words uh, you know it's you know you could just open any page of that and it's just wow because that's one thing I did respect about Dahmer. you know you have other serial killers who will lie Gacy kind of admitted then he for the rest of his time in prison oh I didn't do these things but Dahmer did sit down and admit everything in detail and he told the truth and and I do respect him for doing that at least so we'll kind of jump ahead a little bit do you look at him in the extensive research you've done on him as being a sociopath, a psychopath, someone that had the devil talking to him? What do you think's going on? I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to categorize Dahmer because, you know, he, uh, I think he did know about other serial killers, so he may have known a little bit about the culture, but probably more sociopathic because with every kill, he did refine his techniques, and that's by the time, you know, he had his apartment here in Milwaukee, he had, you know, kind of a regular thing going, and he knew how to get away with it, knew what to say the, to the police officers, to avoid you know apprehension and de detection and that's he was intelligent that way he wasn't a genius but many serial killers do that each step they learn along the way well highly manipulative yes yes yeah he, yeah definitely they are and, and that's how he was too but he seemed that's the strange thing he did seem this meek mild quiet guy which he was but I'm sure the thoughts in his mind were always thinking about well who's next how can I get them and then if I'm caught or if somebody sees something well what could I see or say to avert, you know, being apprehended? So, yeah, I would say he was definitely a sociopath because not really a psychopath. You know, there, there's definitely a difference where he was more calculating and really took his time and, and learned as he, you know, went along on the murders. So I've had the experiences in myriad locations where I've gone and gone through Santeria ceremonies or voodoo or a variety of different things. And even last year we were filming in Mexico for 10 days and we did a piece on uh, Dia de los Muertos, and we encountered several small villages that had elaborate altars that were set up. And you've got skulls that were there, you have remains that were there set up much the same way that the pictures that Dahmer had done as well. So the people that are doing this in, in Mexico and in other places really have this deep-rooted, fundamental religious respect for something. But 
Dahmer didn't have that orientation. So where do you think that came from with him? I, you know, and in that aspect, and it's so interesting that both of these killers, serial killers, resided in Wisconsin. He's very similar to Ed Gein. Ed Gein yeah. You know, Ed Gein, some people compare him to tribal, you know, uh, cultures and some of these other cultures where they do revere death. Mm -hmm. And they do cannibalize and eat, mm -hmm. you know, their enemies because they want to consume them. And, uh, or own parts of them. Well, the Mayans, certainly. The That's Mayans. The Aztecs, right? That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this, whether, you know, Gein and Dahmer read up on these things, which, which they could have through these detective magazines and, you know, National Geographic probably, but there was something about, I think, keeping the victims or part of their victims, definitely for Dahmer, mm -hmm. you know, and he wanted to revere them, and ultimately he did want to build a shrine, and he drew a picture of it with skulls and his uh, lamp and skeletons. Um, and, that you know, he loved them so much that they didn't cover this in the film, uh, the, the Dahmer show, which I was surprised, but he brought one of the heads to work at the Ambrosia mm -hmm. Chocolate Company. So, you know, he did feel, you know, a connection to these body parts and these people. And one of the first things that shocked me when I heard about the case in 91, because I was there during it all, obviously, not there, there at his place, but, you know, <laughs> but alive, you know, and, and, you know, I was uh, just coming out of high school, going to college, um, that I saw my friend worked, uh, his father was a detective in Chicago. So he came home, he's like, you got to see this. And he had the file, part of the file with bad photocopies of the bad stuff. I mean, this was the heads on the sink, the hands and things I'd never seen before. And I still can't get them out of my head. And, and then he had a little confession. And in the confession, they said, well, why did you keep these parts? And he said, I didn't want them to leave me. And you know, that all goes back to when his family left him at 18, you know, abandonment. Yes, that's later in age, but it's, it's again, no matter what angle you look at this, it's very fascinating. But Ed Gein kept, you know, would dig up bodies, keep parts of their skulls, make soup bowls out of skulls, you know, collect, you know, put, uh, he had the faces cut off, he would put them on walls. Again, almost in this reverence, which is very interesting. But yeah, not a religious thing at all, you know, which is that dichotomy. But of course, you know, Dahmer turned to religion later, but which many of these serial killers and prisoners do. Because what else do they have to do yeah. but write fans? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, when you did the serial killer culture, uh, and you and I have talked about those several different times, and then Netflix was back here filming for Dark Tourist. Yes. And the vast majority of people that take my Cream Study Cannibal tour are female, college educated, 25 to 40 years old. And I've been dealing with this now for 12 years or so since we began the tour. I can't figure out why that's the case. Because generally you think about people that are into serial killers, at least I think about it this way. I think about adolescent boys. And they got this kind of gore aspect and the horror aspect kind of maybe continues through the early 20s or something. But these, again, are college-educated women. And I can't quite understand the fascination. And every year it's, it's more of the same. And you and I have talked as well, and I've talked about this in my radio program, WLIP. It seems to me that men are obsolete in our culture, and women are more, they've got themselves, they've got a variety of other outlets themselves, they've got, they've got dogs, they've, now more than ever they got dogs. And of course they've got toys, they don't really need men. So there's this displacement this that's taken place with people overall. But I, I kind of wonder how this all gets back to 
you being a, a loner and you're looking for any type of attention you could possibly find somehow with something and you meet a guy, you hook up with somebody and they're gonna leave and you don't want that to happen, right? Because you, you are so deprived of interaction and love and nourishment and nurturing that you just wanna grasp them and keep them forever. So maybe he's just in front of his time. You know, he could be. I mean, a lot of these, there are women that become enamored by these serial killers. Many of them marry them in jail, Richard Ramirez, uh, you know, or, or they'll want to, they'll desire that. And you know, when you look at that psychologically, it's one of the things that they say is it's because, okay, these men are in prison. Well, they're not gonna get away. The woman knows where they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not gonna cheat, they're not gonna leave. Sure. Where are they gonna go? So that's one aspect of it. But I mean, you know, there is this fascination. Females are the prime demographic for true crime. And when I go to conventions, I have females from teenagers who come to my table jumping up very excited. They, you know, they love this stuff and they say they love it. Um, up to all ages of females. You know, there are some men that are fascinated by it too, but mainly females. And I ask them, well, what's your fascination with this? And they said that, you know, women are more curious. They're more fascinated to figure these things out, why they did what they did. And that's what they tell me. You know, I always wonder if it's something as, okay, safety. Maybe they know what to look out for, you know, when these things happen. Obviously not with Dahmer, but with a heterosexual. Well, I would suggest that one of the reasons that we do the tour is because you want people to learn many of the lessons that you can learn from this. And there's much to glean from this. But I mean, we see every day, because we're just absolutely slamming shakers, you see women every day that accept drinks with strangers, leave the drink unattended at the bar, go to the loo, come back, who had their cards read, the drink is still there. So they've clearly learned nothing from this, right? Yeah, several uh, young women, <clears throat> one's in, I believe, Australia, and the other one, I don't know if she's in UK or here in America. One of them did make a Dahmer doll, and the other one posts pictures of her with Dahmer, with hearts and love. And, you know, I, I asked them, I said, well, you know, number one, he's dead, and number two, he was gay, so I don't know what you're, but they're enamored by him, and they do love him. They say that they love him and you know it's harmless in a sense I mean you know as long as they're not going to kind of do what he did or emulate his actions yeah it's, I see it as harmless but you know there's obviously a psychological reason behind that and I, I don't know if it was called hysterophobia there's a certain word for that psychologically when females are you know drawn to and fall in love with these serial killers I suppose that's because they have this innate desire to nurture people and to fix them there's that too there is that aspect. I think, you know, they would love to do that to, you know, calm them down and, you know, and teach them not to do these things. And, you know, but again, you know, they don't realize that these serial killers are always going to be that way. I wrote serial killer Keith Jesperson for a year and he corresponded with me and we were going to do some sort of project together. And at the last minute when I tried to get him down to say, okay, let's sign this and let's do this. He said, no, I'm doing something with someone else with a book. So he manipulated me and I should have known that as a serial killer expert, but that's what they do. And these women don't realize that. I have a friend who writes to BTK. He calls her on the phone. I was there when he called her. He's like, okay, I'll give you a ringy ding next Tuesday. He talks like he's in the 50s, but he sounds just like a grandfather, like a nice uncle. But, you know, there was issues where, you know, he promised her things and then of course changed them, even though she wrote him all the time and went to see him and did all this stuff for him. They're manipulators in the end. They're always going to be that way. It doesn't matter if they say they love you no matter what it is they're still gonna do it so manipulators and predators at the same time yes okay 
Cool. So you and I again have talked about this from many different angles before, but the ramifications, the collateral damage to the city of Milwaukee were significant. Yes. So it's not just the, the people like Nicole Childress, whose life was turned upside down after she's one that contacted the police, not Glenda Cleveland, by the way. Right. And um, all these things that, that kind of went into effect that changed her life, destroyed her life, destroyed her relationship, destroyed her business, even in future years. So um, it, it continued onward in so many ways the destruction is there you think about the city of Milwaukee you know shutting down ambrosia chocolate moving them out so that really destroyed that industry for them there's so many components that went along with this that were just broad stroke just destruction right. that took place right. well and that's the thing people don't realize okay you know we want they want to focus on the gore and the murders and these things but there are larger issues at play one is the serial killer culture but then they forget how many other people that this affects it's not just the victims their families and loved ones but it's also the families of the serial killer you know, imagine Lionel Dahmer, who here where they're telling you all these things that he did. That's got to be just awful. But then friends, acquaintances of, of all those people, the families, and it stretches out because then, like you said, they could shun these people or say, you know, you were the father or want to, you know, have threats, you know, at the family. But uh, when I interviewed John Wayne Gacy's childhood friend, he was crying on camera and saying, why didn't I see anything? Was there nothing I could do? So it's not just the killer and the killer you know that I mean the victims and their families it's a broad range of people that are affected by these things even economically the town Milwaukee Chicago or wherever these you know serial killers stomped at that time yeah really I mean you know this could happen anywhere at any time any any large or small town Milwaukee right. Wisconsin USA whatever it doesn't matter and yet the ramifications have a destructive destructive mark that would last for decades yes. as Milwaukee did it was so dead here after 1991 on this strip of Walker's Point and the news media would come by and talk about how terrible this was, how terrible this was. It's not the street that caused this. Right. It wasn't the clubs that caused this. Right. right? It was exactly. one particular person that was wielding this sword that yes. destroyed all sorts of things. Yeah. And then the blanket goes over the entire it community does. and it that's does. the problem. Right. And you know, you know, when I first arrived here for the Dahmer tours, I had seen that. I had mm -hmm. seen how he affected the economic development you know, on this strip. And, uh, yeah, there are larger ramifications. And some of these things may go on forever. I don't think Dahmer's, I mean, obviously, you know, his mm -hmm. legacy and memory will go on forever. But, you know, even like the John Wayne Gacy case, that's going to be like the Star Wars saga of serial killers because they're still identifying bodies. The case is still open. They still want to redig at the place where his mother lived. So, you know, I think this is just going to keep going on, this stuff. But, again, I, I, I understand that, and I'd rather be looked at in that way. We study these people find the truth, the ultimate truths. Again, not the sensationalism sensationalism aspect. When I interviewed Lieutenant Jason Moran, who's on the Gacy case now identifying the bodies, he said there's a difference between the sensationalism and what we as police officers know. And that's what I focus on. You know, I focus on the truth, the documents, mm -hmm. and you know, many of these things, these news, news agencies in Hollywood don't even uncover. But because, you know, they just want that sensationalism, whereas I want the truth. So I found a lot of things that you know people may never know about Gacy because I'm producing that documentary now and Dahmer's probably next. Good. Well, it's the same thing with the media. So when we began the Cream City Cannibal Tours, obviously the local media stations hit the bushes and got people to come out and protest. So we had a day that the first walk in one side of the street, yeah. but the second tour that, that had diminished and then it was over. Yeah. 
because those people were not that engaged, that interested in protesting this. They, many I'm sure, just wanted to leave this somewhere else. Oh yeah. And uh, quite understandably. Uh, but the media does what the media does, and they want to sell subscriptions, obviously, and that's oh, yeah. what they do. Yeah, and you know, that's the thing, you know, um, in the film serial killer culture, Rick Staten, you know, who's Gacy's art dealer, he said, it's not us, we're not glamorizing. You know, again, they talk about glamorizing serial killers. That would be us saying Dahmer was a great guy and he did great things and wow, what an awesome person he was. We're not building him up to that. Right. You know, we're, we're just telling the truth of the story, you know, and yours is historic here. You're talking about the time period, the buildings, the architecture, what it was like, and people, again, don't realize that that's a big part of it so it's not always just that sensationalism mm -hmm. aspect and the media yeah that's what they do you know I mean that's you know they want that but again the public kind of latches on to that and that could be a problem too because they're only seeing it from that one perspective rather than okay let's look at this at a wider perspective not just that incident or those incidences so I've been involved with uh, Laura Brand, and uh, we're, we're doing uh, something with the Bitteker and Norris series, the Toolbox Killers in Los Angeles. Yep. And uh, these guys were just sadistic monsters. They were. Uh, disassembling women while they're still alive. At least Dahmer had the sense to numb people first and then right. kill them before he took them apart. Right, right. Uh, but it, the, I, I can't fathom, and I've read these things, I've read these things again, and I put them down and read it again. I can't fathom how deplorable how disgusting their actions were with these young women yeah it was really bad I know they recorded you know some of the tortures mm -hmm. and they enjoyed every second of it and and that's also interesting that you mentioned that you know you have again you know we're comparing Gacy and Dower but you know Gacy would love to torture drag it out as long as he could whereas Dahmer he didn't like it when they were alive right. he wanted them dead so that's when he could have his fun it right. wasn't until they were dead then right. he could open them up and do what he was I always tell people Dahmer would have made a great surgeon if you think about it. If he was channeled in that direction, I don't think he would have killed people because he would have been doing what he loved, seeing the insides of bodies. I mean, that's what he was really interested in. Sure, getting his hands in the viscera. Of course. Right. You know, and that's the interesting thing about, again, that's that difference perspective when you look at these cases and not just like, oh yeah, bad did this. And well, there's no, I mean, his growing up and feeling isolated and, you know, an alcoholic and how could his father not see these things and participate he threw him and fed him you know made him join the army or whatever right. but what about helping him get help for the alcoholism you know going to school drinking it's you know again the, the mother and father I think they played a big part maybe not on purpose but maybe their hands-off aspect also helped create him mm -hmm. you know because he was just doing whatever he wanted right you know and the mother's medication you know before he was born may have also she was taking all these meds that may have affected him because you could tell he's he's a little off I mean he's not highly intelligent you you know, um, but he's a good con man. <clears throat> if these serial killers aren't highly intelligent, they have to be good con men. And that's like Albert Fish. He wasn't highly intelligent, but he knew how to con the one family to let him take their daughter. So, and, and you're in, you, as your endeavors go on, and you are researching myriad again. That's my word today, apparently. You're, you're going through all these different serial killers. Um, who stands out the most to you as the most heinous? If you, you want to go that way, well, most heinous to me would be Albert Fish. Okay. You know, um, the the top three that I'm usually interested in are H. H. Holmes mm -hmm. because he was an evil genius. Mm -hmm. um, 
Ed Gein, because that's fascinating how he lived on this farm and what he did with these bodies, and Albert Fish. Um, you know, Albert Fish would torture children just to hear their cries. That's what he got off on. So, you know, you throw the child aspect in there, and that makes it a hundred times worse, of course. Um, you know, because I always say, you know, don't mess with children, elderly animals, mm -hmm. disabled people that can't help themselves, mm -hmm. and you're going to take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. But these serial killers, that's how they are. He's got to knock them out with sleeping pill pills. You know, they're they're weak individuals in right. the end. They're kind of wimpy in that sense. Casey right. would do the same thing. Do you think he would do any of that to somebody that's like 6'4"? You know? Of course not. No, of course right. not. You know, so in the end, that, that you know, they are weak in that, you know, they always have to, you know, incapacitate mm -hmm. their victims. But yeah, Albert Fish, what he did, I mean, they had to create, at the time they called them perversions instead of mental disturbances, mm. but they had to create some just for him because there weren't enough on the books. Mm. I mean, you know, you go down the list and it's just amazing what he did to himself, what he did to his victims, tortured himself, tortured the victims. And it's just, uh, you know, it's amazing that someone could live that long doing those things and especially living with 29 needles stuck in his abdomen because it was never enough. He had to push that pain on himself and take it out on others too. So necrophilia has got to go back to the ancient Greeks or the Romans or Etruscans or something yeah. at some point since the beginning of time perhaps, right? right? Yes. Um, why do you think it manifests itself now? Is that because maybe Pornhub wasn't invented in the 1990s? And that would be an outlet for people? I'm not really sure, but. It could be. Uh, you know, again, it, it's definitely a psychological thing and you don't see it that much. You know, that's what I'm saying. You, you see it in a small amount of people and serial killers. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why. I mean, it, but it's still not widespread, you know, so it's, it's more of an uh, aberrant thing among people. It doesn't happen as much as, you know, other, you know, sexual deviations. I've always wondered what takes place in mortuaries, by the way. Well, and that's another thing. You know, it's said that when a male dies violently, either like from a car crash or being strangled, mm -hmm. he has, uh, I think it's called an after-death erection, where his penis is erect. Now, Gacy worked at a funeral home. We don't know what happened there, but come on now. You look what he did with these bodies after, it's obvious he played with them there, and that's how he began, you know, his, you know, actually, because he never had a chance to do that before that. Loner, you know, and a lot like Dahmer, too. They probably not dated, didn't even have sex with anyone. Now, wow, here's a body in front of them. I don't care if they're dead, they're going to mess around and play with them. You know, and Gacy many times would make sure when he strangled them, that's how they had an erection, so then he could play with them after. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't doubt it. There was a great movie called, uh, ooh, if I can remember the name, it was about a female morgue worker. It was in the 90s, Kissed. And she she climbs right on the corpses and does her thing. Very interesting movie. Well, we had a, uh, we had a coroner here in the city of Milwaukee um, who had a collection of men's testicles I mean, not, not one or two or dozens, but hundreds of the, these specimens that she kept at her house, by the way. So, you know, what, what's that about, you might wonder, but... I did hear about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, what is that about? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if she was, you know, hopefully saving them to, you know, extract something later for herself or other women. <clears throat> but yeah, again, that's part of that strange collecting, you know, and it's different than, you know, people who collect murderabilia, which are, you know, aspects or things that serial killers may have owned or other important artifacts. But, you know, actually owning body parts like that, and that might be part 
part of it too. You know, Gacy loved all the bodies below him. Dahmer loved knowing that they were all still in his apartment. That made him feel good. And there's something about that, I'm sure, maybe with that woman as well. Why the testicles? Strange psychological element to that. Obviously, there are many more cases of male serial killers than female serial yes. killers. Tell me about that. Yes. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, you see mainly male, uh, white, mm -hmm. heterosexual serial killers. Um, females do it, but they do it good, and usually it's like one off, maybe two off, and then they, you know, they're caught. Um, but that's why we don't hear much about the female serial killers. But male, we don't know why. And that's the thing, we still don't know answers to a lot of these things. Their brains have been studied, Gacy's brain was studied, I believe Dahmer's was, I don't know if they ever put out you know, uh, a report on that. But they usually find nothing abnormal with the brain. Physically, their brain is fine, physiologically it's okay. Um, but we don't see many black or female minority serial killers. And you know, they still don't know why. Is it? Is just that male? because we as white have better marketing? We <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, you know, and uh, I, yeah, I don't know what it is with that. I mean, I, I, you know, it could be, you know, you could say it's rage or, you know, pent up rage. I, you know, I have no idea why it's, you know, why, why that is, but there must be something about, you know, the race and their upbringing. But then again, you know, over time we've learned, you know, when the mind hunters first came out, John mm -hmm. Douglas and them, they used the, the three triads. Okay. Okay, a serial killer must wet their bed or start fires or you know harm animals well we've learned over time that's not the case Gacy never did those things he may have wet his bed but he didn't harm animals right. you know Dahmer didn't kill animals he found roadkill right. um, so we've learned that you have to take each serial killer or criminal story on their own basis and study them in that way and that's you know what the mind hunter thing and you know even if you watch Silence of the Lambs everyone touted the behavioral profilers but when you watch Silence of the Lambs the you know the SWAT team and the investigators go to the wrong house and she just happens upon the right house so that shows you the profiling isn't always a hundred it's a tool but you can't rely on that as a hundred percent accuracy like okay he's gonna be around this area this age that 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 yeah some of those things may fit but they're not psychic sure no. So where do you expect the uh, the next serial killer to come from, if you had to guess? It, it's really a bizarre question, I'm sure. Well, what's very interesting is... your small city? I think small city. You know, we're seeing... The next phase now is we're seeing the mass murderers. Um, so the serial killer has morphed into that for many reasons, obviously. You know, there's cell phones, there are video cameras everywhere. It's harder to get away with these things. And mass murderers have always been there, but they've, you know, risen, you know, over the years recently, especially. Um, you know, in the past, what it's been said about them is that they have this rage and they just want to take it out and show the world, like, look, nobody was listening to me. Now you have to. And usually that's why they take themselves out, too. But nowadays, too, these criminals, serial killers, mass murderers, they know they're going to be famous. So it doesn't matter if they're alive or dead, they know that because, well, again, the media, that's who builds them up. Those are the ones that are really glamorizing the serial killers because they're putting the story out there more and more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. You know, there's now there was just this one caught in California, the black male who was shooting people. So it's hard to tell nowadays. I mean, you know, the way the world is now, the way the United States is now, you know, I wouldn't doubt it if there are more on the rise. 
So we interviewed someone a couple of years ago from Cedar Rapids, and um, he did his best to comport himself and look like Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, obviously cut his hair, wore glasses, kind of sculpted his body in a way as much as you can to look that way. But in the interviews with me, he talked about how he has dreams of killing people, he has dreams of eating them. And clearly this is at the very least a cry for help and or this is somebody who should be watched by the authorities. But merely because you say things doesn't mean that you're actually going to do things, right? There's people that are mentally unbalanced every day walking around saying something. So, you know, until we have kind of a, a, a test that is really effective that maybe is going to be 85%, 90% accurate, how do you even get attention onto someone? I mean, that would be one of the big questions that science needs to come up with an answer for, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, we, I don't know if people have seen the film Minority Report, mm -hmm. but that's what it's about, you know, trying to predict these things in the future. There's a school in Florida that works with children that do show signs of possible future psychopathy mm -hmm. and extreme, you know, reactions to things. Things. And you know, maybe I think because again, you have to get to them at an early age sure. because after a certain point, there's nothing. It turns into a, an addiction of the brain, and then when they start doing it, it's even more of an addiction. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult to say, you know, with you know, with those cases. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't believe he has dreams of you know being Dahmer and eating people. Of course, this is the attention aspect—a cry for attention. You know, maybe he is harmless. Maybe he won't do anything. Thing, but yeah, he, people like that definitely have to be watched. Uh, and you know, it, it's hard nowadays too, and I could understand law enforcement. You know, is this just somebody just saying these things? Is there more evidence? And they can't do much in a lot of these cases until it's an actual threat or until something happens. You know, again, you know, the, the recurrent in thing is all police are bad, but you know, again, they don't understand, the general public doesn't understand. They had the same outrage with Gacy. But imagine that time period that we're in 70s, mid 70s you know some people report a missing you know young man they were last seen with John Wayne Gacy so they go to the house they're invited in they look around nothing strange what more can they do right these police officers aren't detectives. They're not going to search for evidence. And even at that time, you didn't even have DNA right. typing. So there was this big outrage. But it's like, there's nothing they could do because there's no body. There's no evidence. Right. The guy was squeaky clean. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the general public also has to put themselves into the shoes of law enforcement of these time periods. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's just too easy for the public outcry to say they were all bad, especially the entire Milwaukee Police Department. And I would think a lot of officers would be offended by that. Oh, they are. Yeah. They are. Um, so Laura, Laura Brand, as a psychologist, has come up with a test, a 50-question test, uh, that she says that once people are, are in front of the part of the judicial system, they're incarcerated, there's something, they can administer this test, and with a high degree of certainty, whatever that number might be, they can determine if your aberrant thoughts are going to lead you in that direction and you are that type of threat. Hmm. That is more likely to commit a series of crimes that fit whatever components might be currently viable to determine you as a serial killer, which I think is fascinating, but again, you can't administer that to you or I walking down the street or sitting right. here. You've got to wait until you've gone through something, part of the process, exactly. to get the attention of someone right. says, since you're here, John, would you mind taking this test? Right. I'm going to chat for a while. Fill this out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that's almost like that predictability factor. Mm -hmm. It's hard. You know, with that, you can't apply it to everyone.
them because they may fit all those questions, but then they might not. They may go on to regular life. You know, a lot of these serial killers have other family members who didn't obviously go in that direction. Right. Some became police officers. Some became, you know, whatever, lived a great life. So it's hard. Again, there's not one thing. It can't be abuse. So it's not genetic. Right. I don't believe so. Okay. I don't. I. If, to me, I believe it's mainly environmental. Okay. That's what I feel, because they've studied the brains. There's nothing there. Right. So I think it's environmental. Now you talk about abuse, but it not, it's not always. Dahmer wasn't physically abused, but there are different types of abuse. Right. right. There's physical, mental, emotional. There are many different types of abuse. But then there's trauma. So they could witness something that's very traumatic sure. to them, but it's you know so you know traumatic that they're fascinated by. Well, mom and dad fighting, obviously, in a child. That's very traumatic, Exactly. So Freud obviously always blamed the mother, right? Right. And then if you look at the Dahmer situation, you could probably suggest, well, most likely in the situation, yeah, I'd go along with that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing with Dahmer's mother. You know, she, neither parent to me participated in Dahmer's life. It's almost as if they didn't even know what was going on with him, you know, not paying attention to him. But yeah, she was on many meds. She had psychological issues and... And they're arguing all the time and the, the biggest factor is that you know when the mother and father divorced they left the house and took his younger brother and left Dahmer there alone right. to fend for himself right. now here you are oh bye you just have to deal with this buy your own food work whatever and you know you're thrown into that and you sure. can see that loneliness coming in but again that's not one excuse there's there's multiple things that right. creates these serial killers his working on the road kill you know being alone you know having these thoughts you know being gay when you at a time period when you couldn't you know have those feelings or enact them so you know there wasn't grinder around them so he was hiding for victims and just wanted to have sex with them and then it led to more when they wanted to leave Mm -hmm. and then you know once it's that first kill it's done sex with a um, with a intoxicated woman from my perspective is no fun at all I can't imagine, um, you know, kind of flashing back to the necrophilia aspect, why this is the turn on that they wanted or needed. Because there's there's no response, and I think that you know part of that interaction, that intimacy, is that you want to have that interaction with exactly. someone. This is just like a, a dead board, right? Right. So you know this kind of leads me to a different thought: is that with the advents of, of AI and robotics, whatever else, uh, we have sex bots that are coming on. Right. In fact, some are in the scene right now. So do you think that with the development of that, that is going to relieve some people of their needs to go out and to acquire other people, actual people? when they can just find their outlet at home in their bedroom with a sex bot? Right. Well, I always say I'd rather have somebody, you know watch something or participate in something safe than actually doing the act whether it's rape or murder you know just imagine okay what if there was a consensual place where people could go through these things where it was fun play or whatever it was but then if they do that they're not going to rape a victim or going to kill a victim where it's more play and they could get off that way but with the dolls I think yes some of them would be happy with that but with somebody like Dahmer never happened because he wants the warmth of that body the warmth of the innards, opening it up, because, you know, you, that would be hard to replicate with these dolls. Well, you know? yeah, but that warmth is only there for a moment in time, and then it's, it's you know, it's ambient temperature, that's right? That's right, and then so. that's when he was done. Okay. You know, he would just, he would do his thing, and that's when he was done. You know, because I don't think he spent too much time with these bodies. You know, there was that time where he had his thing with them, and that was it, because he took the picture, so he had the picture.
ears and then he would have their body parts and that would make him feel you know aroused in that way too hmm. You know, the further back you go, they don't have, uh, you know, videotapes to put these things in. So a lot of the early serial killers would write, you know, what they did. And that's a way of them vicariously reliving it. You know, and as you go forward, Polaroids, uh, you know, video cameras, you know, one, once all these things came into play, well, it's easier for them to relive it. Well, that surely wasn't a confession that had to be just a, you know, a, a diary to themselves or something, right? right. Had yeah. a great time on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> me and Bunny got together. It was a great four hours yeah. right they have John Wayne somebody has John Wayne Gacy's log but he was in prison but are you gonna sit here reading every time he had a chocolate bar it's like I don't care about that BTK did want to collaborate with me and, and uh, you know create a book on his life I wrote him three times he would grade your papers he would send back your papers to him graded like a or very strange highlight certain parts um, and you had to talk to him in a certain way it was it got to be a hassle so number one I was going to work on him with that because then yeah. I got his writing I couldn't even read it after a while yeah but then he wanted a book just on his life okay I went fishing on this day this day I said that's boring nobody's gonna read that Dennis <laughs> it's like so yeah I bowed out of that because it's just it's not something I'm interested in nobody's gonna read that you know there everyone wants the you know the gore and sensationalism but again many people want that truth and that's what I focus on like in my documentaries the murders might be you know five minutes 15 minutes but the rest is about their childhood psychology the history sociology of the well, that's time that's the fascinating part of it Absolutely. exactly yeah so John I know you want to talk about the uh, pop culture characteristics of serial killers yes. so uh, everybody is on this bandwagon right now and we had a cat that was here a few months ago that's got playing cards of all the serial killers as well we've had a number of artists that come through that have their own Christmas cards of different serial killers tell me your thoughts on things yeah you know I mean th this has always been around and I've termed it serial killer culture because that culture many people fit into everyone from the murderabilia collectors to you're part of it because you have the tour I'm part of it because I make films on it an author that writes a book on it an artist that does a painting sure. uh, a singer who does a song on it so that's all about the culture and why these artists are fascinated by it and you know and then when I do conventions again you see that people love it I bring usually bring a big Gacy stand-up as Pogo the Clown hundreds of people with their children are taking pictures in front of this thing so people talk about outrage but in reality of thousands of people I may see one or two people that are outraged and what they'll do is they'll come to my booth and say oh do you, you what do victims rights advocates and survivors have to say about this and then they walk right away and it well if you would have stayed here I've met with them they've been I had the Jonestown survivor I know other survivors I know victims um, you know victims families they're in my Gacy project but you know they want to say they're outraged but right. don't want to have a discussion about it and that's what I'm about having a discussion mm -hmm. about it but ever since Mindhunt the show that really you know was a springboard for this interest in true crime because people saw you know the profilers interviewing these serial killers and they were fascinated by it so then when I was doing conventions after that there was even more of an appeal and more people were fascinated by this of all ages you know even children one of these conventions last year I had a 10 year old boy come up to my booth and he had a print of a painting of Polga the Clown 
that he painted and he gave it to me. He's like, I want you to have this. So there are children being fascinated by this too, about the horrific aspect and the true, you know, life aspect, the reality aspect of it. Um, but yeah, the culture is, it's very fascinating because you have all these layers, you know, law enforcement, you know, they fall into that too. I know an ex-police officer, Steve Giannangelo, he owns three Gacy paintings, has them in his living room, and his wife doesn't mind. So, you know, we, we see on the surface, but there are a lot of people involved in law enforcement in these other agencies. They're fascinated by it too, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, people that work in morgues, you know, that, that's what it's all about, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's a broad appeal to this pop culture and serial killer aspect of, you know, true crime. Well, what I've also found is with this new generation now of people that are interested in true crime, even content creators and product creators, they are going a little too far in my mind. Mm -hmm. For instance, there was, you know, one guy who he was making t-shirts. Mm -hmm. You know, now anyone can make t-shirts, you know, that you go on Photoshop, you take a picture, yeah. you put it on one of these sites, it's a, it's a t-shirt. But just because it's there, it doesn't mean you have to. Mm -hmm. So one of the t-shirts had Dahmer on it, mm -hmm. and above it it said, you look tasty. Okay, whatever, but in the picture, who was the model that was wearing it? A black man. And when I saw him, I'm like, you know, you could have selected a white girl to wear that shirt. Well, you know, the race baiting concept, it just, it, it disgusts me, frankly, with what this last Netflix piece has done. You know, they make it seem like Dahmer said, I'm going to kill black men and this is my MO. No, that was his victimology. Yep. All serial killers have a victimology. You know, I mean, Dahmer's was my type of victimology if I had him. But you know, Gacy was young white males, you know, blondes, brown haired, but you know, Dahmer liked ethnic, Asian, Latino, black, that was his victimology. That's what he liked, body type, color, skin color, sure. whatever it was he was attracted to. So it was not a race thing. Right. You know, and there's all this outrage now, but I heard the outrage is mainly over Netflix not contacting the families, which they don't have to, but I understand that. But, you know, the outrage over the police and everything, the race, wait, we did this 30 years ago. You and I were here when that outrage happened. Why are we having that same outrage now? That was right. for that time, right. you know? It's like, oh yeah, those bad cops, this and that. Well, yeah, okay, that was. Okay, so you got two incompetent cops. That's right. not the entire department. No, right? definitely and not. And two incompetent cops, and one, by the way, was gay as well. That yes. does doesn't mean that the entire department is is tainted right. and and anti-gay or anti-whatever cases. Right. So it, it's it's unfortunate in many yeah. ways. The outrage and the painting with a broad stroke is what I'm definitely against. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's too easy to do that to latch on to these aspects and it's you know create that outrage for something that isn't there. You know, or pushing the race thing and it's you know bad cops. You know, we got to force you know viewers to you know we got to have you know a black detective to offset that we have to show this but it's like but it wasn't reality the truth but they do that you know I was interviewed recently uh, for a uh, radio show and that's what they said what's the creative and artistic license well if it's a movie or a TV miniseries they could do all that and in Hollywood it's been said that you take the book whatever book you're working on you throw it out the window that's what they do in Hollywood and they make up their own thing you know they may have some facts but now a doctor Documentary, I would expect to be 100% truthful and accurate. But why the outrage over these shows? That's how it is. It's not, you know, like we discussed before. It's their version of it. Well, it's the Hollywood they, they use Annie Schwartz and Annie Schwartz's book, The Monster, on Dahmer 
as the guide or the template for much of this. I know she's less than happy about what it turned out to be, but the reality is, you're right. You publish the book, they pay you whatever percentage they paid her and or royalty for future works or something else, and they have the opportunity to do with it, artistic license, what they want to do with it. It's just unfortunate they chose to go in that direction. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, that's what I say about these serial killer stories, like, you know, whether it's Dahmer or H.H. Holmes, which are, they've been trying to make a film on him for like 20 years, 30 yeah. years now. Why change it? Right. You know, I had interviewed, so uh, for Tom Cruise had the rights to Devil in the White City first, right. and then I talked to and met the screenwriter at that time, Christopher Kyle. He said, well, we have Holmes throwing bodies around the World's Fair. I'm like, yeah, but he didn't do that, and he was much more intelligent than to do that, because even when he was apprehended, there was no evidence. They didn't find anything. So he was highly intelligent and great. At, so why change it? It's like if you're a great writer or storyteller, you just need that original story. Right. It just, <laughs> but, you know, again, they want it to fit their narrative, whether it's at times of outrage or, you know, the, the Me Too or, you know, whatever it is, they have to fit that in, mm -hmm. you know. And it does become sad, you know, like the Glenda Cleveland, and it was she didn't even live next door to him, and uh, pushing the sandwich, that whole thing too. It's like I guess she's there. That did ha happen, but I doubt it. He's sitting there staring at her. You better eat that right now, you know. And the whole blood bank. I highly doubt that he did this with the blood. You know, that's not a fact, you know. And then there are things, you know. I wonder what they based the conversations on. You could have had trial transcripts and so and so, but mm -hmm. there are moments whether these characters are. Are alone crying how do you know what happened there and how it happened well john that's too much worth the research that isn't it <laughs> exactly i know it is and hollywood doesn't want to work they want to put least money right. and big profit right. and that's all business right. right when i when i was i interviewed gacy's photographer and he said for the netflix documentary they brought him into a room and there was carpentry equipment in back of him and he said well why is all this carpentry stuff well you're a carpenter right no, I'm a photographer. They didn't <laughs> billions and billions of dollars, and they didn't even research what this man did. Yeah. And I find it out as a little guy because I'm passionate about it, and it has right. to be the truth. Right. But how? Yeah, it's just you know, it's always interesting to see that dichotomy. It is that. What's next for you? Well, I have to finish this Gacy project. I've been working on that for a couple years. Um, so I'm wrapping that up now. Next year it'll be released in uh, 2023. Mm -hmm. And then I'm looking to go into a little bit more directions, still doing the serial killer thing. I'd like to do a Dahmer documentary and, you know, hopefully, you know, have you on board with that, which would be amazing. Um, and I want to actually work on a couple children's books. You know, just to get away from all this gore for a while. I bet you do. But, you know, involving true crime in mm -hmm. that sense. You know, something very interesting for children. Um, and I've been wanting, I wrote part of a feature film, so I'd like to get back to that and work on that. Something a little different. But, you know, still do the documentaries, but just, you know, take a little different course, but still involve books, visual medium, you know, writing. So, yeah. John, it has been a pleasure having you in the house today. I really appreciate taking the time to come up from Chicago and chat with us. Um, and yeah, I'd be more than happy to work with you in a documentary anytime you want. That's great. Um, Man, it's good to see you. Yeah, thank, thank you, very you much so time. much, Bob. Appreciate I really it. appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Folks, those of you watching from home, we appreciate your time as well and uh, look forward to your comments. I'm sure there's going to be quite a few on this thing. So uh, cheers and have a great day.